Um, if you're new, I am Charlie, lead pastor here at The Grove. Man, we're really glad that you're worshiping uh, with us today. Um, we're starting a new series, like Mark said, um, on, on purpose. We're going to be looking at the, um, at, the, at the life of Moses and really excited about this over these next few weeks. And one of the things that we talk about here at The Grove when we talk about inviting your friends and we talk about this in our, in our um, Connections 101 that, that sometimes it's easy to forget kind of um, the anxiety that somebody can feel when, when you come to a church for the first time. You know, you, know the, you don't necessarily know anybody, the doors are closed, and you're thinking, I don't know what's on the other side of that door. Is it, is it normal people? Is it, is it weird people? I've, I've heard stories about snakes before, and you just, like, you, just, you just feel all this anxiety. And I remember feeling this, this was a couple of years ago, I was, I was, I was, I was on sabbatical, uh, taking about, it was taking about a month, and I was in town for a couple of those weeks, and I thought, man, I'm just going to go visit a, some of these other churches in town that I really admire and heard great things about. You know, obviously that's not a part of my routine. I don't really get an opportunity to visit other churches, and um, got, got, got to do that. And I remember this one church in particular, I pulled into the parking lot, and I'm walking to the door, and, and I start feeling anxiety. I'm like, like, I don't see anybody out here greeting. What if, what if, I, what if I don't know where to go, and... What if somebody recognizes me? What, and, and that'll be weird. What if, what if there's somebody here who used to go to the Grove but left because they didn't like it? And I'm like, and I'm like I, I just started to feel all this anxiety. I, just, I started to freak out a little bit, right? And I'm thinking, like, dude, you're like a professional church goer, right? And, and, and you're feeling this, and it just kind of really helped me understand or just kind of remember kind of what a lot of people go through when they kind of come to a church for the first time. And as we're, as we're thinking about this series, I've been, I've been thinking about this, and well, I'll just call it this, the, the, kind of the three stages, really, of, of someone who comes to the Grove. And, and, and the first one, uh, you know, you kind of come in, and most people who come here for the first time are come here because, because they, they, they have some kind of a need. They, they, are, they are hurt in some way, they are broken in some way, they have felt rejected in other places. Um, there, there's a real hurt in their, in their family or in their life in some way. And, and they come here broken and hurt and what they need is hope. What they need is the gospel. What they need is for us to love them. And you come here and you're in that state and we hope that's what you find. We hope that you find hope in Jesus Christ. And, 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 and honestly, at, at that point, we'll call stage one this. You are the mission. The mission's right there on the door in the lobby when you walk in. That God has called us to reach people, to become fully devoted, world-changing followers of Jesus Christ. And at that moment, in that season of your life, you are the mission. We're wanting to reach you. We are wanting to bring you hope and life through Jesus Christ. And we, that, that's why we do all of these things that we do. From, from the kids to the parking lot, we are here on mission to help and love you. That's what we do. But hopefully... You don't stay there. Hopefully you find the hope, you find life, and you can move to what we'll just call stage two, where you think, man, this church has been really good to me. It's been really good to my family. This has helped me a lot. I want to help them do this thing that they're doing. I want to help them. There are probably more people out there like me, and this church does a really good job. I want to help them do this thing that they're doing. And so you'll find some way to get a little bit better connected and kind of join us and kind of help us do the thing that we called you to do. And that's what we're always encouraging people to do. 
And even if you feel like you're in a season work, man, I just need to be, I need, I need God to minister to me. I tell people, man, one of the best way God ministers to you is when you take a little bit of your life and, and give it away and help somebody else. And so we kind of make this transition to where, man, I'm not coming here. It's not just about me. God's still doing something in me, but he's also using me to help other people. And so we'll call that, we'll call that stage two. But then I would like to, to put into your mind a stage three. Not where you're the mission. And not where you help us with our mission. But you recognize, wait a second, God has given me a mission. This mission is, it's, it's my mission. I'm not helping you. We are on mission together. Making a difference in this world, in our community, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our school. We are on mission together, reaching people to become fully devoted, world-changing followers of Christ. I'm not helping you do something. You're helping me. We're helping each other. We're doing this together. We're on mission. So we hope that you come here looking for hope, looking for Jesus. And, and we want you to find that. But we want you not to just find hope. We want, you to, we want you to find mission. Or maybe we should say it a different way. We want you to find purpose. That you come here only looking for hope. But you also find purpose. I now understand why God created me. I understand now what God wants from my life. And it's not just to kind of survive. It's not just to be a relatively good purpose. God, person, God has given me a, a mission, a purpose, to make a difference in the lives of people around me. And so we're going to spend the next few weeks, and we're going to talk about that, what, what this purpose looks like. And to do that, we're going to look at the story of Moses. And um, most people are somewhat familiar with this story, at least versions of it. And depending on what of the, which of the, movies about Moses you've seen, you, you, may, you may be real confused about the story. If you saw that one that just came out a couple years ago, it's got Batman in it, right? Uh, Gods and Monsters or something, Gods and Kings. So what was it called? Anybody remember? Please don't remember because that means you saw it. Anyway, Exodus, Gods and Kings, I think is what it is. It's awful. Do not see it. Not only is it not a very good movie, it, 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 it butchers the story. God's not even really a character in that story, except every now and then he comes up and he's like this nine-year-old bratty kid. And I'm like, wow, that's a really great representation of God. I mean, it's just, it's, it's awful. Anyways, I recommend Charlton Heston and the, um, the magic lightning finger that makes the Ten Commandments or the very well-done cartoon, right? Uh, Prince of Egypt. Prince of Egypt's really good. It's really, really good. And so maybe you're familiar with this story on some level. Um, you know, grew up in church. But it kind of starts with, with Joseph, another uh, DreamWorks cartoon, uh, King of Dreams. Uh, if you put both those together, you're kind of you already there. Um, Joseph was this, he was, he was one of the sons of, of Israel and was, was sold into slavery by his brothers and ends up in Egypt and rising to the level of kind of second in command and God uses him not only to save the people of Egypt but to save his family and save the kind of the known world from a famine and, and the Pharaoh honors him and his family and he brings his family there and they prosper there for generations but ultimately some Pharaohs come along who don't really remember the awesome things that Joseph did for Egypt and they see the Israelites on their land and think they're a threat. And so they put him into slavery. 
And now they've been enslaved for quite some time now here, and they are crying out, and God is going to rescue them. And, and what's happened here is he's, even as slaves, God is prospering them in incredible ways to the point to where even as slaves, the Egypt, Egyptians feel like that they're a threat. And so they started this policy where if the guards find that uh, a Hebrew, an Israelite woman, has had a, a male child, they see a male baby that's recently been born, that they have to kill that, that, that baby. And so it's in this kind of very scary time where God is prospering them, but they're also being heavily persecuted, that, that God steps into this story in Exodus chapter 2, and we're going to learn about a particular family. Exodus chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Now a man of the tribe of Levi married, uh, married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. Makes sense, you know. You know, if you're going to find out, you're going to find out that I've got a male son, that you're going to kill him. So she does everything that she can to hide this baby so that no one even really knows that this has happened. But when she could hide him no longer, he gets too big, he gets too loud, she just can't do it anymore. She, she couldn't hide him any longer. She got a, a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. And then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds um, uh, along the bank of the Nile. And so she wants to continue to protect her son, but she knows that if she keeps him, eventually it's going to be found out. And so she basically makes a little basket boat and places the baby in it and places the basket boat with her baby in it along the Nile River. And his sister, his older sister, stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter, and Pharaoh is essentially the, the king of Egypt, Then Pharaoh's daughter, so the princess here, went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. And then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother, and uh, Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. So I don't know if this is your first or 50th time to hear the story, but essentially, you know, they hide the baby in this basket, and the sisters in there hoping to kind of see what's going to happen. And ultimately, the princess, the, the Pharaoh's daughter, comes and sees and is like, wow, and she feels compassion for this baby. And this quick-thinking quick sister says, hey, um, you, you won't be able to nurse this baby. Would you like for me to find someone who can? It's like, well, that's a great idea. And so she gets Moses' actual birth mom, and now the Pharaoh is paying mom to raise the baby, which is, you know, kind of bringing a little joy to a very awful circumstance. And so then ultimately, Moses after he is weaned, goes and lives in the palace, essentially as, as the Pharaoh's grandson, the Pharaoh's daughter's son. And so we see this incredible set of circumstances where, where God is orchestrating something. You don't have, there's no spoiler to say that Moses is going to do something really incredible, that Moses is the one that God is going to pick to free um, the Israelites from, from Egypt. And so in order to do this, you know, God is being God. I mean, he could do any number of things. He could just have just 
written, he just kind of wiped Egypt off the map. He could have done just nothing but supernatural miracles. But let me tell you this. Here's the thing. That God, anytime, anytime God uh, wants to do something, he almost always is looking for people. Someone that I can use. And so you see, long before Moses is an adult, before he knows anything that's going on, we'll say it this way. That God designed Moses' circumstances and life for purpose. There's a purpose in it. There's a reason. God is pulling all of these strings and, and is using this tragedy and this evil that is, being, that is being put on the Israelites by the Egyptian people. Both the slavery and then the mass murder. He's using that to... Uh, he's using those circumstances. He's using the, the craftiness of the mom, the quick thinking of the sister, the compassion of, of Pharaoh's daughter. He's using all of this to do what? To place a, a, a Hebrew man in the palace of the Pharaoh. Someone who theoretically will have the sympathy and the compassion for the Hebrew people who are enslaved and also has the access to the king of Egypt. Now, there are plenty of people who have the power to do something about the slaves, but none of them could care less. They view the, the, um, the Hebrews as, as threats, as subhuman. They couldn't care less. And I'm sure there are plenty of people amongst the Hebrews with plenty of compassion and even great leadership skills, but they had no access to do anything. And we see what God does. He says, in order for me to do this, I'm going to need someone with both access and the sympathy and compassion. And so he works all of this together and places Moses to be raised as the king's grandson, which is an incredible circumstance. And, it is, and you can just tell. I mean, this is years before, Mo, I mean, this is before Moses would even have a conscious thought. Long before he's an adult, long before he feels any call of God on his life, God is preparing the circumstances of his life to have a, an incredible impact. He's doing all of this on purpose. And we're going to see this unfold over the next several weeks as, as God uses Moses and this unique situation that he's put him in, use him to make this huge difference. But, but here's the question. And really, it's going to be kind of the question that kind of the whole, the whole series is going to kind of hinge on. Do you believe that God has done that in your life? I mean, it's easy to say it about Moses, right? I mean, it's the kind of thing, it's a story that's been told for thousands and thousands of years, and they, and they make multiple movies about it all the time. And they did this huge, incredible thing that, that ultimately has impacted Millions and millions of people. Yeah, God did that for, for like Moses. But, but for me? And I think somewhere there's a disconnect that we have. There's somewhere there's a disconnect. There's, I think no one can argue, looking at this passage, that the God of the universe was clearly orchestrating the circumstances of Moses' life and, and, and had called Moses to a great purpose. You can't look at this and think, oh, that's probably not true. It's probably just coincidence. But there's a disconnect between the story of Moses and the story of you. And what we're going to try to do over the next few weeks is we're going to try to ultimately convince you that there really is no difference between Moses and you. 
and that God is working and has been working long before you were born, working in the circumstances of your life, pulling strings, making adjustments, placing you in, at, in certain places at certain times for a very specific purpose to make a difference in the world for God. That that is what God has been doing and that's what God is doing. And, he, and right now, where he has you, where he has placed you, with the gifts that you have, with the experiences that you have, with who you are, he has placed you right here for a purpose, to make a difference for him in this world. And I 100% believe that. I do not believe there is one person in this room that is an exception to that. And I feel like, and this is the thing that I feel, lots of times, you know, I'm, I'm sitting here prepping a message, and I think, oh, I need to come up with a story, maybe from my life that kind of connects to this. In this instance, I had to stop and think, which of the countless stories of my life can I tell to demonstrate how the God of the universe has been orchestrating circumstances in my life for Him to do something amazing? And even still, I want to make sure we're clear. I'm not Moses. It's not like Moses is awesome and you're a pastor. You're kind of like Moses Jr. And then there's the rest of us who are just kind of regular just Joe, right? No, Moses, me, you, all of us the same. Just regular people that God is using for incredible purpose. And so I'm just going to tell you one story. I'll tell you the story. I picked this one because it allows me to whine about the fact that we still own a house in central Arkansas. Yeah, I'm sorry for you guys who are new that aren't in on that inside joke. We moved here seven years ago and we still own that, insert bad word, house that, um, that, 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 is, that, that is in central Arkansas. It's been rented for a while. We tried to sell it, rent it, trying to sell it, and now it's, it's empty, and we're, and we're um, trying to sell it again, and, and it won't sell, and it's been, it's been crazy. It's been awful. And, we, you know, we try to figure out maybe what God's doing in a circumstance like that, and because of that, we moved here. We had to live in this little, bit, little bitty apartment, and it was awful. So there's that story, and there's a story that kind of goes with it, well, we, have, we, had, we had two daughters at the time. Um, one's 14 and one was 11. And um, we, never, we never planned on just having two kids. In fact, we never went back on birth control after Lauren was born. And so for 11 years, there was this hole. There felt like there was this hole in our family. And we're trying to, we're trying to figure it out. And so we've got these two stories running parallel. And it was around about the time we moved here that we really felt like that God was wanting us to become foster parents and ultimately adopt through foster care. But we couldn't do that because we lived in a two-bedroom apartment and there were four of us, and we, we would not qualify. And so we couldn't. And it wasn't until the following February, six, seven months later, we were able to move out of that into a rent house that we could start the process, February 2011. And that's important because it was nine months later in November of 2011 that, that God brought this baby girl into our home. Now, I don't know how good you are at, at math, but November minus nine months is February. So at just the time that God is orchestrating the circumstances of our life where we can begin the process of adoption, somewhere in northwest Arkansas, a couple of really disadvantaged people are making some really bad decisions, and, and a baby is created. And a process that takes right at nine months ends with a precious baby girl who was four days old in our home. And so weaving these stories together of a house that wouldn't sell, that delayed us being able to move into a house here and, and um, 
and, and, and an infertility that just would not go away, God orchestrates these circumstances to do something amazing in our family. The most amazing thing that God had done for our family, and all four of us would agree with that, this is the most incredible thing that we've ever seen God do in our family. And it's very clear. It's very clear that these circumstances, some of which, you know, us moving here, that was a good thing. There's some parts of it that weren't good. Many of these things we had zero control over. And it was very clear that God was working on them. And he was working all that together to do something great. And the question for you is not whether or not God is doing the same thing in your life. The question is, are you willing to see it? Are you willing to look? Are you willing to believe and let it happen? And let God do the thing. Because here's the thing. Everyone in this room, and I'm going to use this word, and it's going to be a triggering word for some of you. And I'm sorry. But there's this word that gets used a lot. And, and it's privilege. Every person in this room is privileged. Every person in this room, God has orchestrated incredible circumstances for. The least privileged person in this room would be one of the most privileged people in many countries around the world. And God has used your circumstances to place you in a great position to do great things. What will you do with that privilege really is the question. I was imagining teenage Moses. This is kind of like one of the things I like to do. I like to try to imagine the points in, in Bible stories that they really don't tell. So I'm imagining teenage Moses, right? I mean, what's it like to be like the, 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 the Pharaoh's grandson? I'd imagine you wouldn't have liked him. I would imagine that he kind of looked at, at the other Hebrews and was kind of like, <laughs> look at me. they are people that feed me grapes all day. You ever seen one of those people with the fan? I got like eight of them. And, and he's probably, for most of at least his teenage years, is probably viewing this as, man, God really hooked me up. Whatever belief he had in God, he probably believed that he was very lucky that God had done him a favor and had orchestrated the circumstances of his life so that he could have a great life. And thought that those circumstances were about him. But they were never meant to be about him. God did all of this because he had a big picture purpose for him to make a difference in this world. And then something happens. He gets a little bit older. We get to verse 11. Verse 11, Exodus chapter 2. One day after Moses had grown up, he's not the teenager anymore, he's not sitting around enjoying fan people, He's growing up and he's becoming aware of what's going on around him. The injustice that's happening to his people. So he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. And so maybe for the first time in his life, he gets this real sense of, I think God is wanting me to do something about this. So he looks this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought what I did must have become known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. 
But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. And so he gets this sense of which, I I need to do something about this. And so what he chooses to do in that moment is murder. Which is crazy. He finally has this sense, maybe he's grown up a little bit, but not all the way it would not seem. He's like, I'm going to kill this dude, and he thinks he's going to be able to get away with it. He thinks he's going to be able to get away. He's going to hide. I don't see anybody saw this. And he buries the dude in the sand. And 24 hours later, the next day, he comes across two dudes. Man, don't fight with each other. We're like bros. So what are you going to do about it? Are you the judge or something? You're going to kill us like you did that other dude? The next day, no social media, no, 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 no smartphones, no, no cameras catching anything. And somehow this thing that he did, it caught up with him fast. It was known. And then all of a sudden it got to the Pharaoh. And likely, um, by, by, by this time, the Pharaoh was probably his cousin. It's probably someone that he grew up with. And this Pharaoh, this person that he had known his whole life, now tries to kill him, and Moses has to flee to Midian. And so Moses, man, the circumstances of Moses' life, they were designed for purpose. But his self-reliance sabotaged it. Rather than taking a moment in that moment where he realized, man, I have been privileged. God has placed me in this circumstance. There's an injustice. There's something that I can do about this. Rather than taking a moment and saying, God, what do you want me to do about this? Rather than doing that, he says, well, I'm going to do something about it. And that thing ends up being murder. And so God had him perfectly positioned. He takes matters into his own hand, doesn't listen to God, doesn't trust God, doesn't reach out to God, doesn't understand, well, well, God put me here. What does God want me to do with it? He does murder, and now he's not in that position anymore. Now he is hated and feared, and he's on the run. He's obviously lost lost the respect of Pharaoh and, and, and those people. And he has lost the respect of his own people. He is a man with no one in the middle of nowhere. Because even in the moment where he realized that God wanted to use him, he chose to kind of take matters into his own hands. And so here we all are. And I tell you, and we're going to keep telling you for weeks that God has created you for a purpose. And some of you don't believe that. Some of you are believing this is only for Moses. And some of you, like, okay. And your next step is just going to be out and just go do something. When in reality, what God is calling you to is to first and foremost believe it. Believe that God has created you and designed you and placed you for a purpose to make a difference in this world, to make a difference with Jesus Christ, to bring hope and the gospel to people who need it. And that I am going to now live a life of dedication and listening and trusting in this God to use me and do with me however He wills. And we're going to close with this. And I'm going to tell you a story about a man who I believe has exemplified this more and better than maybe anyone that I've ever known. And I don't know how many of you know this, how how much this word has gotten around, but but someone in our congregation died this week. 
It was, it was an older man. You may not know him. His name was Dean Alexander. But I promise you, if you saw a picture of him, you would know who he is. There's not a whole lot of grandpa figures in our church. And he was an incredible man who led multiple small groups and was making a huge difference all over this church. And um, I remember when they started coming. It was several years ago. It was before we were even in this building. And I remember talking to him about it. And he said to me, let me tell you, let me tell you why I'm here. I'm here because I believe God wants to use me to make a difference. I look around this church and I see all these young people and I see all these people hungering and wanting to know about God. And I believe that God has used my experience and my wisdom and who I am. He wants to use me to make a difference in the lives of these people. And for years and years and years, he did exactly that. And there are a lot of people here in this room who are a part of that legacy. Who Dean and his wife, Soph, have made a huge difference in their lives. Because unlike a lot of people, he did not view the end of his life, his retirement as a time to take his foot off the gas and just do whatever. He viewed this as a time to put his foot on the gas. And to see how God could use him. He didn't go to go to a church where a lot of people would look like him, had the same experiences as him. He wanted to go to a place where he knew he could make the most difference. And I admired that man a lot. And two weeks ago, I was talking to him. We, I, he was going to speak at our men's retreat last weekend. And two weeks ago, we met, and I, and I told him this. I told him. I said, dude, you've been a very specific answer to a very specific prayer. When I prayed that God would bring men like you into our church with real wisdom and a heart to love on people younger than you. And you know what he said to me? He said to me, there's still more for me to do. I believe that God has more for me. There is more that God has called me to. I need to do more. I'm telling you, this man in his life, his life never peaked. Ever. In his hospital bed, he was sharing the gospel with every nurse that would walk into his room. He never peaked. He had more to do. And here's the thing that I believe 100%. It's not what he meant when he said it. It's not what I thought when he said it. But here's what I mean. Here's what I know. That thing that he said, that he's got more to do, it's 100% true. Because it's his legacy. Because here's the thing that he would say. The thing that he would say is, it's now your turn. That's what he was telling people all the time. He's given his life away make a difference and now it's your turn God wants to use you he has created you on purpose he's created you for a purpose He's placed you where you are for a purpose. And he's put all of us together in this moment at this time. 
make a huge difference in this world. Let's pray for each other that we will believe that and live it. Let me pray. I thank you for Bill and Kristen and their kids. I thank you, God, for the immeasurable impact that they have had and are still having in our church. And I, God, I pray that you would bring them comfort and peace and joy right now. And uh, I pray for those of us who are here. Most of us here, whether we know it or not, are part of their legacy incredible impact they've had all over our church. And God, I pray as we think about his example and we look at the life of Moses, God, that we would begin to view our lives differently. And that we would live our lives on purpose with the purpose that you have given us. To reach people, to become fully devoted followers of your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I know that some of you, man, some of you, man, were very, very close to Dean, and I may tell you, I, I've, I spent most of the first service crying. You got a little bit, uh, well, a lot bit more composure for me. I, I've been grieving a lot. I know that a lot of you have been too. And one of the things that has meant the most to me over these last couple of days, and in other situations like this, I've been in, is to have someone to just pray with me. And so there will be people in the back that if you just need some comfort and someone to pray for you, just please pray. If you need a moment by yourself, there's opportunities for that there in the back as well. There's communion. We have an opportunity to give. I just encourage you, man, if you're grieving and you're hurting right now, man, just talk. Talk to God. Talk to someone. Let someone pray for you. Let's be there for each other. And let's ask God to kind of take all these things that we're feeling and help us channel that into becoming and being who God's called us to be.